Welcome to Beyond Dieting. We're two friends on a mission to disrupt the insanity of diet culture and replace it with something positive, life-affirming, and effective. We are talking to you if you, like us, have felt like a poster child for diet failure, or that diets work for other people, just not you, or like you just can't stick to anything, or this would work if only you were disciplined enough, blah, blah, blah. If that's you, then we are here to tell you that the problem is not you. The problem is dieting. As life coaches, empty nesters, busy entrepreneurs, and menopausal women, we don't believe in a one-size-fits-all approach to health and wellness, but we do know what has worked for us and other women in our programs. What's abundantly clear to us is that there is no silver bullet diet or exercise regimen, period, full stop, and we've tried a lot of them. Stick with us as we explore a variety of doable and motivational ways you can free yourself from a lifetime of yo-yo dieting. It is possible to live a healthier, saner, and more fulfilling life you enjoy. Hi, this is Mimi. And this is Lee. In this podcast, we are talking about what weight loss surgery is, why people get it, and success rates and all that good stuff around the surgery. Yeah. So last week, um, hopefully you listened to that podcast. If not, go back and catch that episode. We were talking um, all about the importance of mindset after surgery. So we really were focusing on how you can be successful after surgery. So today we're kind of coming back to before surgery, why surgery, and all the statistics around what could help you make your decision. Yeah, so we're going to talk to you uh, if you're contemplating weight loss surgery or maybe a revision or, you know, maybe you're just like, what the heck did I do to myself? And you just want to listen in because you've had the surgery. Um, just kind of go into it, uh, the way, I mean, the way I look at this is cause I've had the surgery or I've had one of the surgeries. Um, the, there's this sort of first Google <laughs> search that you start doing to explore. And so we're just going to kind of walk through that with you, um, kind of as a support system, as you go through your exploratory stage. So we're just going to kind of do the same thing that most people do um, and do kind of a wide net approach to exploring this. And then I can kind of throw in some of my experience and we can talk about some stuff from our point of view, too, because we also work with clients who've had the surgery. Yeah. And I think you might even be here just because somebody, you know, has talked about having the surgery. And so you're like, I, I wonder what this is. And. Um, hopefully, like, how can I best support them and understand what their experience is going to be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's back up and explain what we do a little bit. Um, we help women who we're, we're mindset coaches and life coaches. We help women who are either contemplating surgery or who've had the surgery release fears and anxieties and mindset things 
uh, any issues they have with their mindset around the surgery. So some women come to us before the surgery, some come after the surgery, and they're looking for help with their mindset, mostly to release a lot of fear and anxiety that they're going to mess things up. But also they want help with habit formation, how to stay on track, because a lot of it's such a mental game, as we all know. And by a lot of it, I think most of it. All of it, almost all of it. Well, for sure, after it is. I think that's why we had the podcast that was dedicated to it. But also before, just like you said, there's so much fear and anxiety about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that when Lee first mentioned to me that she was going to have the surgery, I was, you know, one, I was like, she was so beautiful. I didn't think she needed it. You know, there's all kinds of reasons why you might be exploring it. And I was like, that sounds really scary. I don't know anything about it. Just the word surgery can be fearful. So, you know, I think this is great that we're having this conversation. Um, I think it'll help too. Like, how do you talk to other people about your experience? Mm. If you're contemplating having surgery, there's like a lot of shame around that. Yeah, it's, it, it really becomes apparent when you first start thinking about it, like maybe your doctor mentioned it to you, or maybe it just popped into your head one day, or maybe you read an article or however the idea came to you that maybe this would be for you. Um, I don't know about everyone else, but I know for me, I immediately had my own self judgment to cope with. And here's where the mindset piece starts immediately. I was judging, not only was I judging myself harshly for gaining weight and not being able to lose it, I was then judging myself for thinking about having the surgery. Cause then I'm like, well, that's, you know, a lot of people say it's like the easy way out, you know, you're harming your, you know, triply, quadruply harming your body and kind of committing this act of violence against your body just to lose weight. There are all these opinions that, yes, they're out there in the outer world, but they were inside me too. (laughs) So I was then having like a fight internally with myself and a lot of self-judgy things going on just in my own head that I had to cope with. And so if you're considering surgery, you might be experiencing this as well. And I just want you to know that I'm at least one other person who has that going on. But I actually think I've heard this from other people too, that this is, this. I, I'm willing to bet money. This is pretty common. Yeah, we definitely hear it from our clients, that yeah. idea. And I wonder, Lee, if having gone through that experience, um, did it make you understand that when you said it to somebody or said it to me, that those might also be my initial reactions? Cause sometimes, yeah. cause by the time you've made the decision and you feel really comfortable and you're, you know, like got that nervous excitement about doing it, you know, everybody else is still behind where you are. Yeah. I had a lot of trepidation around telling people. And at first I think like I literally said to Mimi and the few people I chose to tell, Um, I'm going to tell you something that I want you to keep really confidential, you know, because I didn't know, I I felt really scared about letting people know. And so, you know, Mimi, of course, was one of the first people I told, but I was, I was worried about what you would think about me and what, yeah, what your thoughts would be. I know, I mean, the people I told were people who I know care about me. I could register just by being intuitive and knowing people that they were, they had concerns about a major surgery, 
Beyond that, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. I mean, anytime somebody says they have to have surgery, it doesn't matter. You know, it can be on your pinky, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, like I hope everything goes well. Like there's that like nervousness just because that word is so scary. So definitely I think those feelings were in there. But um yeah, I think a lot of it too is what does this mean for after? Because I didn't have any idea. I've never known anyone to go through this. So the only information I had was, you know, like if I heard it on social media or standing in the grocery store line, like people talking about it. And it was very seldom the person that had had surgery. Like most of the information that you get are from people that don't know what they're talking about. And they're, um, it's often said in a judgmental way. You know, like they're sharing information without any information to back it up. Yeah. And I'd say one of the, I mean, and I'm just going to kind of underline this for people, no matter who you are listening, not only do people in our fat phobic, fat unfriendly society have to deal with that fat phobia from everyone, from their doctors, to their parents, to their best friends, to their spouses, um, everywhere they go, there's this fat phobia and judgment against them for not having, you know, this body that's sort of the ideal for our society. But then <laughs> there's this backlash, like, but don't do it this way. If you can't be skinny by doing what the movie stars do, which is also probably surgery, surgery related, um, but what they say they do in terms of like eating, you know, nothing and exercising all the time, then you better dare not go do the surgery because then you're just like a double loser. <laughs> and there's this weird messaging around it. And I don't even know where that comes from, but I myself had it, as I said, um, that I was really judging myself harshly and wondering if, you know, being extra, um, hard on myself for even considering it. So let's look at who this is for, because one of my first kind of judgy things was, I don't know if this is for me, because I'm not quote unquote, in my own head, that, that heavy, you know, like, and then indeed, my BMI was at the very lowest, it could be for insurance to cover it. So for insurance to cover the surgery, which is a whole other exploratory thing you have to do once you consider the surgery, you've got to go look and see how am I going to pay for it? Because it's very expensive. If you pay out of pocket in the United States, it's going to be 20 to $30,000 or roughly there are different procedures. You know, there are different kinds of weight loss surgery. So some are more than others, but you know, most people are thinking about, will my insurance cover this? So there's a certain BMI range over which, like if you are above a certain number, you would qualify. And so I just barely, barely hit that number. And, um, but in my head, before I even knew that BMI number, I was like, I always thought that weight loss surgery was for people who, you know, um, weighed many hundred pounds more than me. And that was just a misunderstanding. I didn't know any better. So I think that is an initial response I got a lot from a lot of people who I told was, you're not that 
heavy. <laughs> it was usually the first thing somebody said to me. But yet, you know, for insurance to cover something, they do have to consider you firmly, like in the camp, like probably people who have even lower BMIs than I had. Maybe they should, for health reasons, have the surgery. I don't know. But um, for insurance to cover it, they must really, really think that it's an okay thing to cover. Is my yeah, best I want to I want to say along that that vein is because it's not cosmetic surgery. No, this is not done, you know, primarily so that you can look better. There's real health implications. Yes, carrying too much weight, and so it's between you and your doctor to determine, you know, what is the health benefits and risks to this type of surgery. Absolutely. And that's, that's where I had to get to in my mindset. Like, look at me, me being a good mindset coach right here. It is a mindset that um, you, in order to have the surgery and, and kind of get into a healthier space in your own mind. So you're feeling firm and solid in your decision. I recognize this is a medical discussion. This is a medical decision, just like any other. And, you know, I'm going to some of the best doctors in the country and, you know, some of the best programs in the area, the region, you know, one would assume like in any other area of health that you're getting good information and good advice. And the advice was that, that they thought I was a good candidate for this. And, you know, for, you know, um, a variety, I will, I'll say just, you know, just FYI, for people considering this, I did not have um, diabetes or any of those markers that people typically, or I don't have any heart problems. Um, my cholesterol was considered high, but I had a lot of good cholesterol. So it was always kind of like, you're okay, but still it was creeping up. And um, so I didn't have anything that I was being treated for. But what I did have were really, um, I noticed the impact on my feet and ankles, and I was starting to be less mobile than I would have liked to have been. Because, you know, typically I like to walk a lot and I wanted to even run and I wanted to do things that I start, I was starting to feel like the weight I was carrying was preventing me from being as active as I wanted to be. And then that becomes a catch 22, because if you're not moving as much, chances are you're going to get heavier, you know, and then it becomes this real, then it is a health concern, I think. And it's a lifestyle concern. It was depressing to me that I didn't feel like moving or felt I couldn't move as much as I wanted to. So for me, that was other than just being unhappy with my weight, that was a compelling health reason for me. And I mean, that's discounting the mental health issues that come when you yes. feel like you can't use your body in the way that you want to do it, that you can't show up, you know, yeah. your life and in your work and with your family in the way that you want to show up. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much um, psychological drama and tr actual trauma that goes along with, you know, weight that feels like a you, you the, the internal feeling is that you don't have control over it. And that's a terrible thing to feel. And so there's a lot of psychological drama and I would say actual trauma around, you know, carrying extra weight in our society. Very much so. 
So we wanted to talk about kind of how, what's going on in your head before you um, decide on this or as you're deciding on this. And then, you know, what is it? What is weight loss surgery? We're going to kind of go into some just stuff you can Google. You know, we just went on like, okay, what does the Mayo Clinic have to say? Because, you know, we're, we're not the experts on this, even though I've had the surgery, I'm definitely not an expert. So, um, I don't know, Mimi, do you want to read the? Yeah. So what we thought we'd do is just read exactly what the Mayo Clinic's definition is for bariatric surgery. Mm -hmm. So here it goes. Gastric bypass and other types of weight loss surgery, also called bariatric or metabolic surgery, involve making changes to your digestive system to help you lose weight. Bariatric surgery is done when diet and exercise haven't worked or when you have serious health problems because of your weight. Some weight loss procedures limit how much you can eat. Others work by reducing the body's ability to absorb fat and calories. Some procedures do both. While bariatric surgery can offer many benefits, all forms of weight loss surgery are major procedures that can pose risks and side effects. Also, you must make permanent healthy changes to your diet and get regular exercise to help ensure the long-time success of bariatric surgery. Yes. End of definition. End of definition. So (laughs) there, there are... I would say the three most common that you see all over the place are um, a sleeve gastrectomy. This is a relatively newer procedure that's gaining a lot of popularity because the way surgeons present it is that it's less invasive, it's less risky, uh, but it is somewhat newer uh, than the gastric bypass, which is also called the Ruan Y procedure that's like rue as in the french word r-o-u-x and then on e-n and then y as in the letter gastric bypass that is called the quote-unquote gold standard because it's been around so long and they really have just they've kind of perfected their thing with it and so these are different major surgeries that you have directly on your stomach that um do different things to your stomach. And I'm not going to go into the medical. You can look it up and there are lots of pictures that show you pictorially, (laughs) you know, what they look like that's different. I will say that I was told that um, my stomach would be reduced to the size of a golf ball. And that's sort of from a layman's perspective. I just needed to know that as a patient because I could visualize how much food or how little food would be comfortably in my stomach. Uh, A sleeve is also reducing the size of your stomach, but in a very different way. And I want, again, I'm not going to even pretend to go into that for you. Uh, We could just read you you straight out of, you know, Harvard's, you know, medical school or out of Mayo Clinic what it is, but you could, I think go looking at the pictures would help you um, if you're interested. And then there's um, something called a duodenal switch. And then there's another thing called a SADI, an SADI procedure. And again, we're we're not experts on that, but there are, I just want you to know there are different procedures and, you know, it's just better to discuss this with your surgeon, see what they special. I would say, make sure they specialize in the thing that you want. (laughs) You know, if you kind of have made a decision on your own by reading, uh, because 
different people will be better candidates for one or the other of these. Um, it just depends on your health, other health concerns you have. Um, and then also risk factor, how comfortable are you with the slightly increased risk from the gastric bypass um, and just kind of knowing yourself. So, you know, just discuss it with your doctor, but there are a variety of things to choose from. I just want to say, we'll have lots of links yes. in the show notes of this <laughs> podcast so that you can see where yeah. we've gathered, you know, the information that we're talking about. Um, and can I just take one quick second to slide back to that Mayo Clinic definition? Because mm-hmm. it always strikes me when I read this, where it says that you will need to make permanent healthy changes to your diet and get regular exercise. And I think what um, I have observed watching Lee and what has really um, influenced how we run our business and how we shifted our business, is that there's no discussion there about the mindset and the emotional impact and the work that you'll have to do on that to continue, which, you know, we talk about it all the time. Mindset is everything. And so when you're looking at it from a medical perspective and all of the conversation that you're having and the thought you're having is what you have to do medically, then it can feel like, you know, I can just do that and everything's going to be okay. But Mm -hmm. just like you had all of the mindset you know, confusion and shame and guilt and curiosity before the surgery, that's only going to be amplified Yes, for the surgery. So I think it's like, um, it's almost a disservice that it doesn't include the fact that, you know, it really will benefit you to, to find the support and resources that you need. And it's why we've started our beyond bariatric surgery program, because that's such a vital thing. I think it's, you know, when Lee and I were talking about why she's managed to be so successful post-surgery, you know, it all leans back to her coaching skills and the mindset work that she does. And so it would be nice if Mayo Clinic would also include, (laughs) it's not just what you eat. It's not just how you move your body, but it really is the mental aspect of it too. And this is what they began to notice. Um, you know, as I was saying, the gold standard is the gastric bypass, and that's you know been done for decades. But early on, the success rate was not so great, and it was because there was no attempt even to deal with people's psychological impact and mindset, even on the, the just bare minimum medical level that they could. Um, when you do start the process and go down the path of exploring the surgery with your doctor and your insurance company, usually they do require a psychiatric evaluation because even just your mental health is so vital to the success of the surgery. Um, if your mental health is in an unstable place right now, or in general, if it's very, um, uneven feeling for you in your mental health, it now may not be the best time. Of course, you explore that with therapists and psychiatrists and your surgeon, but uh, they they put you through um, some screening for that because um, in the early days, there was an increased risk of suicide and some of the death rates weren't from the surgery itself, but from Um, mental health issues that occurred afterward. So um, your mental health absolutely plays into this, but, you know, let's say you, you've got your, whatever mental, you can still have 
anxiety and get the surgery. You can still have low grade depression and get the surgery. You don't have to be tip top perfect. I don't even know if anybody is, but it's something, it is a contributing factor to your success afterward. But let's say you've got, you're managing your mental health with, you know, some medical help or whatever. Um, there's still mindset and mindset is different. It's related to your mental health, but it's different. Um, your mindset, these are the stories you tell yourself every day. And um, you can be relatively healthy mental health wise and still tell yourself a bunch of crappy stories every single day. Um, and most people don't, they're not even aware they're doing this. Um, what you discover as a coach is not only do your clients tell themselves a lot of crappy stories, but we do too. Mimi and I do too. <laughs> We're always working on our mindset. It's a daily activity, just like the exercise they're talking about, just like eating healthy foods and looking at your portion sizes. Those are daily basic activities. And what's missing from most people's lives is the mindset health practices that are daily and even moment to moment throughout the day, just the way deciding to park further away from the store. So you get a let, some extra steps in or eating an orange instead of a cookie. Um, it's you make those same moment to moment decisions in your mindset with the proper training so that you're picking a healthier thought over a less healthy thought. And, and that is absolutely, I, I can tell by being able to observe myself because I'm trained as a coach to observe myself, think uh, that all kinds of crappy thoughts come up around your weight and um, the chances of your success, the likelihood of a good outcome, all kinds of crappy thoughts come up after the surgery, even though you're visibly you know, there's tons of evidence to suggest you're losing tons of weight, but the thoughts can be really bizarre. Um, and Mimi and I have talked about this in other podcasts about body dysmorphia, and you have all these thoughts that don't really merge with reality. <laughs> so unless somebody has training or support here, it's easy for me to see how people could go off track and, and have some bad results. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about some of the stats for post-surgery? Like mm -hmm. if you're considering it, what those might look like. Right. So um, there are lots of studies on this. We just looked at um, one in particular. And again, we'll have all the links so we don't bore you with that unless you really want to go searching after it. But there's one study that looked at people both 30 days after surgery and then seven year uh, in a seven year follow up. And I think there were even more. Um, milestones, but these are the two that they mostly reported on in the results section of the study. Um, so 30 days after the surgery, they found that death rates were low, quote unquote low, only 2.1% of participants who had open gastric bypass and 0.2% of the participants who had um, laparoscopic gastric bypass died. No participants who had gastric band surgery died. We didn't mention gastric band. I don't even know if that's commonly done, but this is an older study. Um, only 4.1% of participants had at least one major bad outcome, such as death, 
development of blood clots, repeat surgeries, or failure to be released from the hospital. Now, I want to say this one might sound really scary. 4% to me sounds high, doesn't sound low. Um, I was not released from the hospital. So I would have been included potentially in this 4.1%. And the reason I was not released was because I just had like chronic vomiting <laughs> and I, I couldn't keep anything down. And you're supposed to, after a day or two, be able to keep some stuff down, but I could not. And so they had to keep me in to keep my fluids up. So technically I would have been included in this one major bad outcome. So I wanted to give you that range because they mentioned death right off the bat, but I was also in this statistic. So um, then also um, in the 30 days after, no significant differences in complication risk were found based on the type of gastric bypass, bypass procedure. Um, participants with the highest BMI values, and that, that's your height-weight ratio, had the greatest risk of complications. Participants with a history of deep vein blood clots or sleep apnea had a higher risk of complications as well. Right. So, and those are probably participants that would have a higher rate of complications with any surgery. Exactly. Like those are yeah. you know, markers for complication. Yes. So after at the seven-year follow-up, participants lost an average. So again, that means some people lost more, some people lost less, but the average was 28.4% of their body weight after gastric bypass surgery and 14.9% of their body weight after laparoscopic gastric band surgery. Of course, that one, the way I understand it, Gastric band surgery is done less and less, but those are the stats on that. Um, most participants maintained their weight loss, which to me, and my my um, family medicine doctor told me this too, that her patients kept the weight off. And that was impressive to me, you know, to know that most people maintain their weight loss. Three to seven years after surgery, participants who had gastric bypass surgery regained an average of 3.9% of their body weight. And participants who had gastric band surgery regained on average 1.4% of their body weight. Again, an old stat. Um, higher, high cholesterol was less common after the surgeries. Diabetes and high blood pressure were less common. Um, over time, diabetes reoccurred in some patients, but numbers of new cases were low. Now, here's one to note for people. This, this one is to take seriously from what I understand. Alcohol use disorders increased after gastric bypass surgery, but not after gastric band. So gastric bypass is one of the more common surgeries that's still done. It's That's the one that's called the gold standard. But alcohol use disorder is one of the risk factors with this surgery, just to keep in mind and to take seriously. Um, pain and physical function improved after bariatric surgery. That was one of the things they found in the follow-up. And it's certainly for me, that's true. My joint pain in my feet and ankles is pretty much gone, like totally, totally gone. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I think one thing to note with this study is that um, it, the gastric sleeve was not very common when this study was done, 
Yeah. You know, and now gastric sleeve is the most common type of bariatric mm-hmm. surgery that's performed. Yeah. So um, definitely, I, you know, from a very, very um, kind of layman's perspective, what I understand about gastric sleeve is it's considered less risky than the bypass surgery and still has outcomes that are considered good. And um, one, one slight complication people can have after gastric sleeve is that they may need a revision, what's called a revision surgery. And that means after the gastric sleeve, if it's not successful for you, you do have the option to have a full gastric bypass. And that's something we hear of in our own community. People coming into our community report some of them, you know, they've had the revision or they're considering a revision. Yeah. We found a study from the national library of medicine talking, you know, specifically about that and the the revision rates after gastric sleeve. So the overall revision rate was about 10%. But if when people came back for over 10 year follow rate, uh, follow up, the rate um, increased to 22.6%. Right. So the most common reason that was cited in here was failure and weight loss. Um, and they said that the revisional surgery was favorable for weight reduction and comorbidity resolution, but that the revision rate is not as rare after, what is SG, Lee? Oh, let me see. Do you see where that's in there? Bariatric surgeons and patients need to Let's... fully understand and deal with the need for revision after, that must be the sleeve, gastric sleeve, but backwards. I think it's gastric sleeve, but it's just, yeah, presented differently. Yeah. Differently. Oh, sleeve gastrodectomy. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so they're saying it's it's not rare, but to me, those numbers, when they say like 10 to 22%, that still means that 75 to 90% of those surgeries were successful. Successful to some, to some yeah. Yeah, and didn't need a revision, but mm-hmm. it's just something that you want to be aware of. We do um, work with women that have had a revision. Mm-hmm. And so that often I think brings, when we were talking in the beginning about the, sh- the idea of shame and failure, I say in quotes, um, I think is really, uh, affects people when they feel like they have to try again. Yes. And so, yeah, back to stigma and feelings of failure and shame around weight, it starts well before you even consider surgery. And then the surgery can complicate your feelings of shame and stigma. Um, but this is where after being, you know, when I was researching this for myself, I went into the Facebook communities where you've got like tons of people who've had the surgery already and they post a lot of before and after photos and they give you a lot of their own kind of opinions about stuff. And um, one thing that was clear to me as a mindset coach is that the mindset can still be really messed up, I would say, you know, normal, but I think our normal mindset around weight is messed up. (laughs) And so I would say it's normal, but it's messed up in terms of making a difference post-surgery. So I could tell by just listening to these people in these Facebook groups, because they're, they're literally typing out their thoughts and putting it in the comments and stuff 
that their their mindset was still very pre-surgery oriented, meaning that they still thought things could fail easily. They still thought they had, quote unquote, no willpower. So all these old definitions and ways of looking at themselves, which were really per perpetuated by society and the diet industry, which is now having a big rethink. We're seeing it publicly with even Oprah talking about how, you know, she is apologizing for making people think it's their fault that they're not eating well and et cetera. So, um, you know, a lot of this mindset stuff doesn't even come from you. You didn't create it. It was put onto you. And it's, that's the thing that still needs to be worked on after the surgery um, for you to really feel successful, I think. Yeah, I think that word stigma is so powerful mm -hmm. um, because it's so like shame is so internal, right? It's like how you're feeling and what your emotions are. And stigma is, it's kind of like what societal is viewing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's external and it's real. It's very real. And you've had decades of it. You know, if you've been alive for any amount of time at all, you've had decades of this thrown at you, even if you were thin at some point in your life, you know, there's this shame and, and, and external stigma around gaining a pound or being too short or not having, you know, bony looking legs, you know, <laughs> just have all this weird societal stuff around the way our bodies look. And so coming out of surgery, you know, it's going into surgery too. going into surgery and coming out of surgery. It's so important to begin to understand this, to understand what has influenced your thinking, influenced your behaviors prior to surgery, just to begin to look at it differently, to reframe it, and then to, to continue to reframe it after surgery so that, um, you come out healthier, not just in your body weight and your BMI, but internally you're healthier and able to facilitate the positive outcome of the surgery itself. But to go back to the stigma, um, here's what patients say afterwards when they're struggling. Um, Patients report difficulty following the diet necessary to maintain the weight loss. Additionally, when they seek support after surgery, they often encounter stigmatizing messaging related to weight. And this is all from a study. Um, weight bias internalization, weight stigma, and stigma about having the surgery all contribute to feelings of social isolation, disordered eating, and reduced motivation to engage and physical activity. And so yeah. that's all from the study. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to say, just like how your um, initial thoughts about yourself, you know, and this need for the surgery and how you felt about the surgery that was made from a place of not knowing. Yeah. <laughs> all of those judgments were based just on opinions, what you heard other people say, you know, and not facts. Mm -hmm. So I think part of what we really want to convey today is get the facts, you know, mm -hmm. and when other people have opinions, when you have opinions about yourself, link them back to, you know, what are the facts? Like, what are the doctor? And I think I need to do for myself mm -hmm. and let other people have their own judgments, 
you know, want, it's not your job to educate everybody on what bariatric surgery is, mm-hmm. you know, but just, you know, remember that those, those judgments are just their opinions. Send them a link to this podcast. <laughs> just say here, listen to this. And just, this will give you some idea, you know, is, is this, you know, the tome on bariatric surgery? No, but we will talk to you about you know, the thoughts, the thoughts and the judgments and the stigma and the importance of getting through that and past that, um, but, you know, because there there will be things after the surgery that can happen, you know, um, where you notice socially that some people react to you differently. And it's something that they do start to prepare you for. If you've got a good practice, a good surgical practice, they'll have you in some classes and sessions where you are, you know, they talk to you about this and uh, to at least prepare you that it will happen. But what they don't do so much is give you any kind of support around what will you do when this happens, when you face different social situations. And that's what our program does. That's what we help you with. Cause that's, that's more mindset coaching and kind of the practical tips around how to deal with some of this stuff. Um, and that's not what a surgeon does. You know, it's not what a nutritionist does and it's not even what a therapist does really. So, um, yeah. And I think, I think it's important. Like, let's just talk about what that might look like in Mm -hmm. someone's daily life, you know? So this idea of like, stigma and fear and shame and unsurety and stuff, you know, it could just be that you have friends that have such a hard time, you know, with their own opinions about weight loss surgery, the fact that you got one, they might just fade away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I've had a couple of friends, the really surprising friends who just seemed thrown by it just thrown. And, and it's weird because these were not the people I would have expected to be thrown by it. Not that I expected anybody necessarily be that thrown, but you know, people do get really thrown by this. It it messes with their own view of the world and what people should and shouldn't be doing. And it just triggers them somehow. Yeah. Um, That's what I was going to say. I think it's something inside them Mm -hmm. that it's like, they might not even know what it is. Exactly. Exactly. And some people have, um, I know, you know, even in my family, um, different family members, we all have some kind of eating disorder and, (laughs) you know, maybe not all, I shouldn't say all in my family, but, you know, it's pretty common. And in my family, I I will say that there are some eating disorders and some people veer more toward anorexia nervosa or bulimia. And um, for people who suffer with that, what I'm doing could seem scary because I'm, I am severely limiting my calories compared to the average person and what they would think of as an average calorie count. And so if I share what my limit is for the day, it might sound scary to some people because that's not what they should be doing, you know, and this is where it's a very medical prescribed thing. I'm not doing this because I think I'm fat. I'm doing this because my doctor says have this many calories, (laughs) you know, and just like when you have anorexia and your doctor says eat 2000 calories, that's indeed what you need to do. And if my doctor says to me, you need to have no more than 1200, then that's indeed what I need to do. 
But for some people that can sound really bizarre because that's not what they think or what they need to do. And there's so much conflicting information about what yeah. is right to eat, what is wrong to eat. You know, is it all greens? Is it the Mediterranean diet? Is it high protein? Is it, you know, no carbs at all? Or vegan? That, Should you just be vegan? You know, just be, be, yeah. just be vegan. No, just eat meat. Don't or just fruit, fruititarian. Should you just have fruit? <laughs> you know, and so everybody is struggling, I think, internally with what is the right thing. What and is everybody right wants thing? to have an opinion, not just about what's the right thing for them, but what's the right thing for everybody else. And so when even when Lee talks to me about her calorie count, like my first thought in my brain is like, that can't be right. <laughs> like, how how can you get out of bed? Yeah. You know, because I have this entrenched diet culture and diet mentality that even though I work on it all the time, like my initial response can be that. And so yeah. sometimes if you're with somebody, they might just spew that initial thought out and yeah. you know, just be like, no, it's good. You know, it's like how you react to that can be helpful for them, but some people can't let it go. Some people so want to be right. Yeah. Really make you feel like you're wrong. Yeah. And we're such, so the problem with this is like, first of all, Mimi and I have known each other a really long time. We're almost like sisters and we know each other really well. So, and, and also we coach together. So we understand coaching and mindset work. So it helps us have conversations in a way that is not damaging at all. But, you know, when you're dealing with somebody where you, maybe the, the, it's not the same situation and, and they don't understand mindset work and they don't understand that, each person's unique and, and isn't going to, the you know, one healthy thing for one person is not going to be healthy for the other. Then you get in these entrenched battles of the will <laughs> that can happen. And the problem with that is we are indeed at the end of the day, social creatures. We want to blend in. We want to belong. And so if you feel like you're outnumbered in your social group or your family or just society in general, that influence can start to wear away at your own resolve and you can start to want to blend more into what everyone else is saying and somehow make that like this is more the okay thing but then that that's when people fail after surgery um and so the reason they need mindset help and support beyond what the surgeon can do or a nutritionist or a personal trainer, but the mindset work is to help you deal with and hold your own boundaries in a social setting. You can still belong socially, but eat differently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to say just, you know, you were talking about our relationship. Like if our relationship dynamic was different, like mm -hmm. say I was the parent or I was a boss, or I just was an emotionally stronger and you know, bullying type of person. And I was con constantly at late, like, that's not the right amount of calories. You can't eat that. You know, when you come to my house, like I'm going to fatten you up, you know, that, <laughs> that old mentality, you know, that aunt Dorothy or whoever, you yeah. know, that was like always pushing something like you can imagine like just that constant pressure eventually Lee would be like, okay, give me the cheesecake. Like I can polish it off today. You know, it's just that, I think that constant barrage of pressure. And I think that's why like, um, that post-surgical mindset work and that post-surgical support and community is so important because in life, we have to make a lot of decisions and saying no is a really hard decision. 
mm-hmm. uh, especially I think for women, because we are naturally, you know, want to be liked, want to be um, people pleasers, want to fit in. And so if it, you're like, no, 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 all the time, it's like exhausting. Mm-hmm. And like they said, eventually you just wear down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's easier to our social animal, our inner social animal. We just want to give in and just go with the flow. And but, I might say why eating disorders are so prevalent in society anyway, because everybody's got an opinion about your body. Yes. yes. Psychologically being a body size, that's not fitting in with the ideal is already tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, you know, um, and, and we, we want to have this conversation for people considering this or people maybe who just care about someone who's considering this, because uh, just to give a little more insight into what's going on mentally and in the mind of someone and the kind of support. And there really is a fragility in the mind because you're to go against society in any way. So first of all, you're against society if you're a high BMI because society thinks everyone should be a very, very low BMI. So you're already against society, which is psychologically difficult to go against the grain in society. But then again, you would think society would be like, yeah, go get the surgery, but they're not. Um, So then you're going against society again. And then after the surgery, it doesn't end because you have to keep kind of with a different program. And so it's this constant swimming upstream in society and you're not going with the flow you can condition yourself with your mindset to keep to reframe it so that you can do it. And then it becomes a lot easier and you don't notice it so much, but you know, it, it, I, I would just like anyone contemplating the surgery to know this is a, this is something to take seriously and to start to prepare for and support yourself around. And then if you're supporting someone who's getting the surgery to understand that they're, they're already doing something so hard just by being the BMI that they are, if they qualify for this, and then to decide to do the surgery is it's a very difficult surgery. It's not an easy surgery <laughs> and the program afterward is not easy either. And then they've got to keep this up for life really. So to support someone through this process, you've got to understand how fragile they can, it might be for them. Not that they're fragile. They may be very strong, but you know, it is, it's, it's harder than it seems. Yeah. And I think it's like anything else too, right? And there's a learning curve for mm-hmm. what meal time and eating and socializing and dinner with friends is going to look like. Yeah. And I, I think like, especially that immediate time after surgery is when you need to be surrounded by people that love you the most. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, right. Like I can just remember you were in a place where you're just like trying to figure it out. And we would go out to eat and, you know, Lee's eyes and brain and excitement over a food dish, you know, could tempt her to order something and try to eat as though she had, didn't have this surgery. Like it took a little while to kind of yeah, yeah. roll into, oh, I'm not ordering appetizers and my meal and dessert and thinking that I can, you know, enjoy all of that at one sitting, you know, it's like, how do you, yeah, you literally can't, I mean, it's like a practice, right? It is, it is. And at first the surgery itself will tell you by making you very uncomfortable if you eat more than a golf ball size amount of food, but then you've got to 
you've got to train yourself after that. You know, you've got to remember that lesson because, you know, slowly but surely that pain won't be quite as much and you have to coach yourself through that. But what's interesting is um, you can, I, I've learned that I can still travel. I can still go out and eat. I just do things a little differently. That's all. I just do things a little differently, but I can still enjoy being able to socialize and travel and all those good things. Yeah. Cause we still do a lot of that. We still do a lot of that. Yeah. Still do a lot of that. I just remember one time we went out to eat and we got this amazing appetizer release like, Oh, we got to get that. And so we ate that so ravenously. And of course I'm still ready for my meal and the least meal came and she goes, I just filled up on the whole appetizer. I should have saved some of that. <laughs> I was like, well, now you've got this gorgeous dinner for, you know, tomorrow or the next day or that's I'm, right. I'm, you I'm just a take it home girl, so I'm perfectly okay with that. But yeah, you know, I can just remember you trying to work out. Like if I only have this much space. Yeah. What do I do? How do I? Yeah, exactly. And it can happen. And I think it's like, it's like I was saying it with anything new at the trick is like, don't get frustrated if at the beginning there's, and obviously this isn't when you're still in your six to so many weeks out, this is when you're a little bit further out, when you really are starting to mm-hmm. reemerge into. Mm-hmm. A more yeah. What we're impact. talking about, like going to restaurants and traveling, I wasn't yeah. doing any of that in the first two months and even three months. Like I did try to travel within the first three months and it was, it was challenging and, um, very different. <laughs> but so we're talking about eventually, eventually, when you start getting more into your kind of normal life, how do you do it and and, and protect and maintain that boundary around your health? Um, that's when uh, you bump into your mindset over and over again. Yeah, it's like anything, Every, whenever you hit a new level and something I know for me, it was like with money, you know, I'd get my mindset right for where I was. And then I get to a new financial stage and it's like oh all of these things again and it's just like each level that you get to and it's the same post-surgery right mm-hmm. every stage of it is another another mindset learning lesson. opportunity yes. <laughs> yeah but as long as you know you can like that's the beautiful thing about mindset once you understand that you have control over it it does not control it does control you if you do nothing but if once you realize and listen to people like us who say, yes, you, you can control your mindset and get curious about, okay, how am I going to do that? How am I going to learn to do that? And you start to do it. It's amazing. You have a lot more control than you think or over your mindset, even if you've been thinking the same way for decades. Yeah. So how do you want to wrap up today, Lee? Well, one, I hope we just gave you kind of a very bird's eye view of um, what weight loss surgery is, who qualifies, um, how we might be thinking beforehand and feeling a little wobbly socially, um, stigmatized, judged, Um, you know, some stats on the success rates. It is a quite a successful surgery. You know, the top surgeries that are done today are pretty successful, I would say, and and your risk factor is fairly low, luckily. And then um, as you move forward in life after the surgery, that um, to enhance your chances of success so that you make sure you're in that percentage that does well, 
the difference may well be your mindset and that you can get support from that. You don't have to stay stuck. And it is worth exploring just for your own happiness level. So internally, you're not always anxious and fearful about what's going to happen or what may happen. Um, We believe mindset coaching is a missing link and why people who make the decision to have the surgery are better off if they consider adding mindset coaching to their post-surgery treatment plan. Yeah, because you're always going to have that one person who knew one person that had surgery and had a bad experience and they're going to yes blanket that for every but i think that's why it was so important to know the stats are that this is mm-hmm. this would not be a popular and acceptable surgery no if it was that way for everybody but i've definitely heard you know i've definitely people who didn't know i had the surgery and i mentioned like that those are who our clients are you know i've definitely had people just tell me like immediately some, uh, some horror stories from a real person they know and those yeah. do exist those do exist. And we have to acknowledge, you know, we can't paint over that with gloss, but um, definitely it's far more successful than it is harmful. Yeah. And we just want to, you know, offer something that makes you more successful. Lee always says you didn't get brain surgery. You only got stomach surgery. Right. Right. We want to help you work on the, The on the brain side of it and really start to undo the mindset that contributed to weight gain prior to surgery. I mean, not all weight gain is a mindset. There are really physical things, mm-hmm. you know, that people have. That's, that's why it's like, it's your decision. It's your and your doctor's decision. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a very personal decision and it takes a customized, personalized approach afterward, which is another thing we believe in strongly. Um, we believe that each person in our program deserves to be, to feel empowered, to come up with their own personalized, customized approach to how they're going to do life after the surgery. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today. We're going to have lots of links below. Um, we'll have the link to our mindset, uh, podcast episode. If you haven't listened to that yet, and we'd like to end all of our podcast with the song music is really important to Lee and I, I think it has the power to heal to lift you up, to be fun, you know, to be sad. If you need a good cry, like I I use music for everything. So when we were thinking about a song for today, um, we landed on love is everywhere I go by Sam Phillips. And if you don't do anything, but say that title (laughs) over and (laughs) over, it's beautiful. Like, I just love that idea that love is everywhere I go. The song itself is beautiful and it's worth listening to um, and you can find it. We actually have a playlist, Spotify. Our company is Her Genius and it's the Her Genius. Is it the Her Genius podcast or did we rename it? Oh, I think it is Her Genius, but um, we'll have the link to say, it. Yeah. Um, Sam Phillips, one of my favorite artists and love is there. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. You'll love it if you haven't heard it already. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening. In fact, if this resonated with you and you know someone else who needs to hear this, please share our episodes. We would just love that. We also would love it if you would follow, subscribe, and rate our channel because this lets us know you're actually there. 
and it helps us show up in searches, which would be awesome. Please be a part of our community and mission to help as many women as possible free themselves from diet culture so that they can go beyond dieting.